you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. All right. Oh, I love the background. There we go. <laughs> a gazebo from some wonderful location. A complete... Uh, Lumberjack at Cleveland long ago had a hockey team apparently before I got in town. And at one point, a friend gave it to me, and it's perfect for this holiday season all red and green, and etc. Yeah, I kind of remember the lumberjacks, it sounds familiar. We got the monsters, so I think, from what I understand, like many big cities, Cleveland has had soccer teams, hockey teams of lesser leagues, and stuff like that. And they survive one, two, three seasons, and they don't seem to put them together enough ticket money, the rent goes up, whatever it might be, that even though Cleveland is a big sports town, there sure is a lot of hunger for it, but we don't, that, I don't know, the Monsters have been around for a long time now. I've yeah. actually been to a Monsters game and had a really nice time. I had a friend, Larry, who actually had like a whole sheet of, here's all the various different cheers and how to respond, because there really had become a whole bunch of regulars that had put together all this fun ways to slander the other team and stuff like that. So. <laughs> we went a couple times with Girl Scouts and Cub Scouts, and actually the Girl Scouts got to walk on sunrise holding the flag for everybody to stand up and sing the national anthem. See, that's very uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then my daughter got into it. She They had little stations set up because it was a whole bunch of scouts. So they had stations okay. set up and they went and made big poster signs. And she's just shouting and cheering. And I'm like, hey, Megan, what's the score? She goes, I have no idea. <laughs> this is the fun stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we talked about before, I love Triple A. You know what I mean? It, when we go to the Rubber Ducks game, it's so different. As much as the, you know, we've had a reasonable, we had reasonable sports teams in Cleveland over there. And I used to go to the Cubs all the time, even though they didn't make it into the World Series for a hundred years. And yet, I don't know, small town or minor league stuff is just so much more fun. It's it not is. the prices of things that are ridiculous. If the kids get to go out on the field, they get to go out on the ice. They, the mascot is goofy. You know what I mean? It's not all like corporate not just sponsored, but controlled, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I really have had fun at those games. And that's what I seek out nowadays. I don't really go to Guardians games. I go to the Lake County, the Crushers or the Captains or the other ones that we have, the Rubber Ducks. Yep. That's down here. Yep. All right. So, so how are you doing? Honest, man. So yeah, let's yeah. cats out of the bag. Might as well talk about it. My mom passed away earlier in the week. She had been she's had alzheimer's for years and my father passed away almost two years ago now and we've had her in a memory care facility where i would regularly go visit and so forth but she wasn't getting any better and you could see straight out of like any geek how do i get out of worry and fear you go read a lot of books and read a lot of websites and stuff and you kind of learn what's happening and how it's going to continue and so nothing has been a surprise she really was almost a textbook in terms of the memory going, being able to recognize me and then maybe not being able to retain even the same time that we would talk, what we had talked about in conversation. So I was, I don't know, I love her. I was always trying to show her some photos and knowing that she might not be retaining anything, but I think that she, I hope that she recognizes family and that if anything, she sees the delight in my voice. <clears throat> and so that was often enough. These last few days was a quick decline. She got, I, last week, either Thursday or Friday, I went over and visited and she was sleepy, so sleepy that I really couldn't get her to make eye contact with me. She was pretty much in a, not a daze, but just dozing off. And even my voice and my touch and stuff wouldn't rouse her. And when I mentioned that, then they, what we have done is we had hospice care for her not in a hospice, but in this same place, Arden Courts, which hats off to them. They have been wonderful and sweet and professional and just, I couldn't have found a better place. Um, and as she went then into hospice and had the hospital bed and was having difficulty breathing and they gave her a little bit of morphine because that doesn't just calm you. It actually helps with some of those autonomic things that 
your body starts forgetting and it starts forgetting everything. You know what I mean? Like how to swallow, how to breathe. And in the course of probably the last four days, she really went from being in the cool new wheelchair that we had gotten for her that really supported her well to kind of being in the bed to kind of being no, nobody was home in the eyes at a certain point. She was just roomy and I was there every day, but when I went home on Sunday night, going on Monday morning, I had, I hadn't really done vigil. I hadn't been there solidly, but I kept visiting and for long periods of time that day, I was there from 11 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And when I went home to get some, a little bit of sleep and a quick shower, she passed and people have been very kind in terms of everybody. And I mentioned it because I have been kind of sharing the saga. I really think part of the way you get through pain is to, just to, well, what does Spider Robinson say? Pain shared is pain halved and joy shared is joy doubled. And so I figured that's kind of how I live my life. A number of people said that subconsciously, people kind of know that that they're fading and that people are around them and they don't want to break the heart of their loved ones. So they kind of wait until it's really quiet and that they get to make their peace. And she just kind of went to sleep and didn't wake back up. So she looked fragile. No, I never really, I've seen dead bodies, of course, at funerals and stuff like that. But within the time between her passing and the, we had, boy, a lot of things came together where we knew about the hospice care. We had gone to a place called the Neptune Society. That is, the, my parents both wanted to be cremated and their ashes scattered in the Pacific so they could swim with the fishes forever. And so all that was arranged and came together. And then once it really happened, it was just a question of making the right calls, getting the right person to come over and certify yes, death. So that goes on the death certificate. The Neptune Society came and picked her up, Jeremy. Um, uh, Rajiv was really good when she came from the hospice about what to expect. And then after it happened, here's what happens next. Everybody was just very calm and solicitous and with you. You know what I mean? It wasn't at all brusque. It wasn't just another chart to them. It sure, or at least they found people to be in these roles that were really decent. And so got her picked up, got the wheel out with Jeremy and the last final touch before she went, you know, the special gurney that collapses in the front. So it goes right into the medical yeah. thing. And, and even by the time we got her out of her room, she had started to cool, which like, I'm not trying to be ghoulish, but it's just, everything is so real and so final that it's just, even if you expect it, it's still, Oh man, this is really. But I love oh. what you said that you got together with your siblings, you went out to breakfast and to remember Thanks. the good stuff. And my son and I talked about that. It's like yeah. my great grandmother, I don't have any really <laughs> good memories of her other than her being upset, crying for 25 years. She lived past her husband. And oh. as far as she was concerned, her life stopped. When he died, that was it. The old school, she, I mean, she came to America when she was like 20, 21 years old. And when I say old country, they started them. But so her life kind of stopped. So there was never any good memories with her other than she made pasta and New Year's Day. She was never really happy, never really, not a whole lot of conversation. So I don't have any great memories. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I did, I've done a huge disservice. When I mentioned to my brothers, I always keep them up to date as to what's going on. Um, my younger brother, upon hearing, hey, I think it's really happening. He and Chris, Bruce and Chris, drove up six, seven hours from Bloomington overnight to be there. And Colleen came over. So I, it wasn't just me. My family really came together. My older brother was not able to come up, but he took care of as I was giving him, Here, we got to get the crematorium paper signed. DocuSign goes. And all the hospice, all the, everything with the, everything he has been, a rock as the conservator. You know, he really has a ton of stuff to take care of, but everything has gotten taken. There was no, I don't know, signing a contract un- under uh, not the best frame of mind and stuff. So everybody, we shared some wonderful stories then at breakfast. You know what I mean? We really did reminisce about, of course, with Christmas coming up, remember this Christmas and how fun this yeah. was. And that we, you know, when my parents first got a reliable car, that's when we started to take weekend trips or at least a Sunday long day trip. And 
so much of that is I got the Wanderlust from them. They really showed me the world is big and you got to go explore it. So from Chicago, we went to White Pines and Starved Rock and up to the House on the Rock and Mississippi Palisades. Just kind of, you can see a spiral going outwards over to the, the sand dunes and all these things. Boy, they're not, they're like a couple hours away, but a whole different world. You go to the sand dunes, what are sand dunes doing? Oh, of course, Lake Michigan is big enough to actually have the conditions that create sand dunes instead of only the Sahara or something like that. So I just, it was, you know, when we say goodbye come spring, it really will be, I hope, a celebration of life. It isn't, oh God, they're gone. We're so sad. It's also, they had a great life. They were 90 years, 60 plus years of that together. They got out, they survived World War II, came over here, had the American dream. They lived in paradise. They had a house three miles from the ocean between San Diego and LA and would walk on the beach and go give food to the pelican. (laughs) They traveled the world. They went to Morocco. They went through the Panama Canal, all over the place. And so much, if I can be as good a man as my father, if I can be as loving as my mom, I will have been a good person because they really were great parents. My best friend, Stu, and I, uh, growing up, we often talked about we hit the parental lottery. Our parents stayed together. Nobody was an alcoholic. Nobody was a philanderer. It was just such a good household. We both have multiple siblings, and the parents treated us all very fairly. All of it. I just, I can never thank them enough. In the memories of them, you realize just, Not everybody had it as well. Colleen came from a big family, but her parents weren't always of quality. And sorry to have this be a recorded thing, but it's not like only she knows, the whole family knows that they grew up under difficult circumstances. And a lot of what they do when they have these discussions is kind of like process trauma, not celebrate. And not only that, of course, the family had wonderful times as well, but you know what it is? It's a scale. And the fact that I have 90% good memories, that ain't the case for somebody. So for everybody who's coming into the holidays, for everybody who had difficult interactions with you name it, their parents, their grandparents, their siblings, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's and that every new year is a chance to just, I don't know, reapply yourself to, I'm grown up and I can handle this. I don't have to only be the reaction that I had when I was five and I didn't know what was happening in the world. People have stuff all kinds of things from when they were young that they have little autopilot responses. And I hope, Al Balt, this amateur psychologist, I hope that you're able to just say, I'm choosing different. In the moment of choice, you really get to say, I'm not going to be haunted by that anymore. I'm going to make the effort. You know what I mean? And maybe you'll just get lucky and say, hey, that memory that's been with me for all these years, memories fade. Finally, I had a good Christmas. Now my Christmases can be good. That kind of thing. So yeah, enjoy the time. Don't don't spend more of your life being upset that they're gone. Enjoy it while you have. It. Enjoy it while you're there. I think at my father's funeral, I think actually a few people got upset with me because I wasn't just walking around crying and upset. I was seeing people I hadn't seen in years, and we talked and had stories about my dad. In fact, I got up and said, okay. Anybody have any stories about my dad? Let me tell you one. And I told one and some people chuckled, but other people were like, you can't, this is, yeah, it's a funeral. You're supposed to be upset. And and it's, I I just don't, I've never felt that way. I have been to funerals where it is a relatively somber, stately affair, but almost everybody has kids. They bring their kids. And when the kids, like they don't have the awareness of what's going on. They don't have the attention span and the calmness. So they start running around and having a good time, even in a funeral parlor, or even in a church. And of course, they quickly get kind of calmed down because you don't want them knocking over the casket or anything. <laughs> but there's still something to be said for, hey, circle of life. Yeah. This is, you know, these kids, it isn't only sad to them. This is a chance to get together with their friends and family. This is a chance to, as much as mom and dad might be sad, hey, we get to go out to lunch. I, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> and this year, I, I hit two milestones myself. I had a buddy. Uh, we went same age, same grade. He had a full hip replacement. I'm like, check that off. There's my first peer with a full hip. Oh, and then I had hip. another friend, his mother. You know, I grew up with him. Uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. He stopped over, actually brought me some of his old Star Wars toys, and we chatted for a while. And But oh, his yeah. mother is now in a nursing home. And I'm like, there we go. My first here with parent in a nursing home. So it doesn't stop moving. And I just think I 
See, let me veer a little bit and tell you a story. <laughs> of course, of course. When my grandmother died, she and I never got along great. We butted heads quite a lot. I tried to be a little somber for the funeral for my mother and stuff like that. But my cousin's grandson was there and he was two or three little kid. He had no clue or whatever. He's yeah. just, he's kind of walking around. So we're at the funeral home. We are the only funeral home going on, but they have the different rooms, but they have those elastic walls that move around so you can ex- make the size. So we were walled off in one area and there was another room open, but there was nothing going on in there. Nobody was in there. The, my cousin's grandson's walking around and he turns and he looks into that room and he smiles and waves and, and then and laughed and walked away. And we're all like, okay, <laughs> what is he seeing that we are not? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Again, and we've had this discussion about supernatural and what you can see or believe. And, right. and I would totally be on board with, yeah, he saw somebody that we can't see. There have been so many stories of people that reports like this with little kids that they can see stuff we can't around the world that it filters out as your brain changes or something. So I totally believe whatever he saw something, somebody kind of little kids don't wave in empty rooms and laugh. (laughs) Exactly. Nothing spooky happened. No, there was, in fact, this is kind of weird. I'm kind of glad that I wasn't here. The death rattle. Now people have said that really is that last breath can be difficult because then it sticks with you and that's all you remember. That's right. I actually did take a picture of mom in repose. And I think I've mentioned before, she had a tuxedo cat, a plush toy that she just had with her all the time. And we sent it along to be cremated with her because it really was like her in repose holding her little kitty cat was just the way to remember my mom. You know what I mean? That she, the real Monty and Monty too, she spoiled them rotten. She loved these cats. And the first one was really wonderful and godly. The second one, not so much, but she kept treating him like a good kitty cat. And eventually, I think she broke him down. He did climb in the lap and purr and stuff like that. But it that's, like I said, how I want to think of my mom is cuddly. And I think I mentioned this maybe one or two episodes ago. The last thing, as she became less verbal, the last thing she said to me that was quite very clear was I took her hand and she said, nice and warm. Well, if that's what she... If that's what I think my mom thought of me, nice and warm, I'll take that. That's perfect, really, man. Perfect. Oh, perfect. Exactly that. So because we had too many things planned and everything just proceeded, and because there's so many things to get done with the holiday, you know, sometimes that's how you get through tough stuff is work on something else. Don't just sit there staring into the darkness. And so I've been working on the last of the gifts and the Christmas cards and that kind of stuff. And in fact, just got the Christmas cards out yesterday. Today, the PDF goes out for those who are digital. You know what I mean? I got a whole, we got a big old database slash spreadsheet of the hundreds of people that we send things out because it's the one opportunity a year. Something should be winging its way to your house. I don't know if it's going to get there before Christmas. It was one of those things where they gave a date range and it was before and after. So here's hoping that you get something under your tree. But I just sometimes when you and I buy each other particular things, it's not like they stocked up on the latest Taylor Swift album and they could just shuffle one out of a million out. We have particular things and they're like back in the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, I do have something for you coming and it's been coming okay. actual weeks and oh, it was, man. it's very only out. You're like the only person I know that this is for <laughs> and you'll understand. Cool. And okay. I think you'll appreciate it immensely. And that's, what's really, that's, you know, I spent so long with my kids and this was, very difficult with Gina and her kids. They yeah. did not, but I spent so long with my kids that you want to give people something, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, look, I spent a hundred dollars. It could be something you made or pennies or whatever, but it's something very custom and personal. My son has been nailing it for the last couple of years. He got me, I think I mentioned uh, my very first Star Wars figure was uh, Han Solo on Hoth and Colin found the gun. The little gun. So he got that. And for this year, oh, I didn't get it. I did. I'll have to get it for the next episode. For my birthday this year, he got me a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. But it was, I'll I'll have to show you. I should have brought it. It's a little (laughs) square, about two by two. And it's the complete story. But it was from 1920. It was a series of books they started to print in this little format because it was 
now printing became cheaper and right. people before never had these books. So they printed it in a way that people could afford to get the books and right. it's leather bound. And it comes with a little uh, card because they couldn't print on the cover. So it comes with a card describing what it is and yeah. it's in a slip case and it actually has stamps on it from 1923. Somebody mailed it to somebody and it's That's the coolest cool. gift. Yeah. It's that so good for him for just that the fact that those artifacts are out there. I know the world is going digital, but you know, there's some pretty cool atoms out there too. And to see the generations of different books and of I don't know if any number of like we still have a VCR player, you know what I mean? If something that never got issued on DVD, somebody found the VCR, it'd be like, Well, that's pretty cool. That really is like the original cover, the original what, what, what do they call the movie? The placard, or there's a particular name right. for it, flash thing that you see up at the theater that I, I love. Finding those kinds, especially when you find it in good condition, like this thing survived 60 years. It was in somebody's closet. It was kept, <laughs> not just, oh, no, the rain got it. Well, that right. kind of thing, so I may have to employ your services. We do have a VHS of this really rare a Teenage Mutant Turtle thing, and Colin wants to transfer it, but our VCR is, is the head doesn't display anymore. So okay. I may employ you sometime. It's 30 minutes long. <laughs> I, when I left, Topica, my dot com. You know, this is now 20 plus years ago. We had uh, the ability to pick a gift off of a list, if you will. And what I got was a dual DVD, uh, maybe only a CD ROM, a dual player where it's VHS on one. And so that's exactly for that kind of transferring from one media to the other. Haven't run it for 30 years. So for all I know, the heads are <laughs> trashed, demagnetized, gum got in there, whatever. But if there's anything that I can do to try to, I have. I think I mentioned long ago, I was one on when I was LOCSEC, local secretary for Chicago area Mensa. We had an opportunity to be on Fox thing in the morning to review movies that I thought would be fun for a Benson to do. And it was like the Einstein movie. It was Spice Girls, that Spice World, that kind of stuff. But a uh, reason for saying that is the, um, wait, oh, lost my train of thought. The, the, I have tapes of those things that somebody caught captured off of TV. And I know that those things aren't going to last forever. That's not archive quality media. That's, a VHS was often just the lowest common denominator. So the fact that I've let it sit for this long and haven't moved it over, I hope that now it's not impossible to do. Yeah. I once went to a very cool lecture in California. Hewlett and Packard created, obviously, that company. And if I remember, David Packard, when he re semi-retired and had money to do things, he either started or was a principal in the um, California Film Archives. And they were the guys that specialized in when they found old films like on nitrate or where it really was it hadn't been kept in the best of conditions so if they're going to be able to capture this original print they got to take it into clean room conditions temperature and humidity control and frame by frame make sure that you peel it off so that it's not lost to history and while i was out doing my dot-com things i went and saw they had recovered a print of rafifi it's a caper movie that was made in europe and it's very famous for there's a 20 minutes of the film is quiet because they're next to the bank and they have to be moving totally quietly so that nobody suspects they're there. And so it gets just tenser and tenser. And then a guy, spoiler alert, drops like a wrench. And it sounds like a cannon, a volcano going off because you've just been leaning in and leaning in. And oh my God, this is so tenser. And the reason I mentioned that is because that was the first movie my parents went to see together. Nice. They went to see for, and there's a famous um, theme song, or at least a, thong, a song within the movie that's very Italian stereotype. Maybe French stereotype. I'm sorry. And so when they mentioned that was the first movie, then I saw that they were hosting this show, and it was like, I got to be there. Right. This is like the film they saw. It's that print that year it's not a remake it's not any it's really just that can might have been in the theater in europe and then whatever it was very cool that's very <laughs> cool and you talk about the restoration of this old stuff i've heard some rumbling doctor who uh, has been on forever everybody listening should probably know that and at the time, the earliest ones that they recorded, they got done, they tossed, got rid of them. Or so they actually recorded over them. With yes. Something else, so they really are lost. It's not like you can find that, right. that uh, tape or something like that. Anyway, yeah. So so there was back 20-ish years ago, 15, 20, whatever, a group of people was doing reconstructions of those episodes where they, because they still had photos from the set. 
And they had the audio, which is a little weird at times, whatever. So they reconstructed it kind of like a slideshow with subtitles and audio. But I've heard rumblings now that they're like, huh, you know, we can take those photos and with AI, we can recreate the video. And the tweeting, as they call it, yeah. go from one thing to the other and look like it was originally filmed. That's cool. And with all the technology, I talked about this. You could re you could do the fourth season of Star Trek and AI create the actors, have their lips move with their voices and create all new dialogue. All this AI stuff, that's right. something you could do. Take all the books that Blish and others did as continuations of the series and use those as the scripts, the inspiration. Right. And you really could do. And I, you know, there's a lot of uh morality involved there i really don't want it to be that someone's likeness gets used without their permission if you will even no matter how much the rabid fans would love to see that but there's got to be a way to find the happy middle path you know what i mean that they can shatter and well, over else and de-age them <laughs> that it looks like the original cast bones should be there etc i mean it, and the contracts now obviously are changing but back then it was like yeah, you're an actor, you paid, you did your job, we own it all. And it and they could time. do whatever. Right. So from the actor and producer and creative team standpoint, great. Now they redid the episode, but arguably they're redoing the episode. They're not using what you did film, though that yeah. some of the voice, and that's a whole morality, like you said, morality discussion. That's but, it. and I know this isn't going to happen, the corporate big leagues could say, hey, your estate still exists. Here's some money or whatever, because we put this out and people loved it. I know that won't no, happen, but. <laughs> it's a good thing to be able to talk about the comic book field in that they really have, in a lot of cases, made right by people. Frank Miller and, um, Maybe I'm trying to think Neil Gaiman, Matt Wagner, a couple of people that did early on their own work and licensed it to the company instead of it being work for hire. Well, then they also went and said, oh, there's no way that Jack Kirby's widow should be living difficultly when he created the Marvel right. Universe. There should be something. And so with a kind of moral pressure, more than legal things, it really was on his work for hire. They managed to get it so that the estates of Bob um, Bob Kane and Bill Finger created Batman. Each of the various different things, Moulton created Wonder Woman. I think they've made it that even though the companies were not obligated to do so, they've made sure that the people, who in some cases, the people were still around, but they were like living in a retirement home. And they said, well, here, how's about $20,000 a life? How about $100,000? Whatever it might be that they've made, as you well know, billions off yeah. of the cinematic universe. And so maybe that's also what helps them make them a little bit generous is there's money to go around back right. when it was still only comic books it, it wasn't a great way to make money only certain things that really had to be a hit but most comic books were what two hundred thousand copies repeat it wasn't so just that hats off to not only the people that pushed for it but the good guys at marvel and dc Jeanette con i'm trying to think of who were some of their, the names i remember when all that stuff was still coming out the comic book legal defense fund was involved, but not like as a protagonist. They were like saying the way to do this legally is like this. It's given as a bequest or whatever the appropriate legal term is so that mm -hmm. it doesn't create further obligation on the part of the companies, but they really do get to share the wealth. And it was like not till the what third or fourth Superman movie that they recognized the creators. And because I read something about they went and saw it in the theater with right. everybody. And it was the first time they and saw that. To see Siegel and Schuster. Exactly. Yeah. That up on this. Yes, that's got to be amazingly satisfying to be like, if you're Arthur Conan Doyle and you finally get to see that Sherlock Holmes has become one of the most recognizable figures ever, he lived long enough to really do that. But Siegel and Schuster did. Did you read this? By silhouette, some of the most recognizable characters is Superman with the akimbo pose, Mickey Mouse because of the ears, and Sherlock Holmes Sherlock with this Holmes. Deer, stalker cap. All that To create something for the ages like that, <laughs> the contribution you've made to the world, fantastic yeah and so on prime you may not have seen this there is a mini young whatever batman special a christmas special but it's the uh might i forget which it is it's not the movies or anything but it's young it's batman but it's a damien that it focuses on when he's like eight Okay, who was his son that he didn't know he had right razal uh, ghoul's daughter right it reminded me a little bit of Mad Magazine, a little bit of Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> so okay. it's, it's funny. Because it's got that, the style of the artwork is 
campy, goofy, cartoony instead of being you know, yeah. meant to be like dark, like a, the comic books. Oh, yeah. This is made for... It I did see it. I just yeah. see so many things now. I'm, <laughs> I'm suffering from back when we actually used a, a DVD recorder to capture things. Oftentimes, I filled up my 100 hours, my 200 hours, and I'd be like, all right, watch a whole bunch of comedy half-hour specials just so I can delete and make some right. money. You know what I mean? And exactly this period between Christmas and New Year's, I'd use that's that if there's any way in which I have binged, it was kind of driven by that of the, oh, this is going to go away, or I don't have any room to save anything else, I have to make room. <laughs> yes. In, in the, you mentioned uh, the recognition. So in the cartoon, there's like a cane and finger boulevard or something like that, that they go yeah, past. Cool. And then one of the original artists they put into the cartoon just as a cameo something. They okay. didn't name him. They didn't. He had one line that Damien went past him, whatever. And Kong goes, right. hey, that's so insane. Stan, Stan Lee took, kind of took on that Hitchcockian aspect of, I think that he was in every single Marvel movie un until he passed and i think they even had one come out after he passed that he had done some work on it right kept right. him in you know what right. i mean so what a, that's a very he really was the goodwill ambassador for marvel for the last three decades of his life maybe even four he really was no longer producing the comic books but still had that the patter when you could have him at a comic-con and putting him in the movie and having he had the great ability to make fun of himself he I mean, became <laughs> like the fictional mascot Almost. And in fact, at one point, you know, there's all kinds of fan theories about this. At one point, we're like, oh, I think he's the watcher. That's why he's in all these scenes, because Stan's name is not Stan. It's really like Uwatu, like all the watchers have those multiple names. And I just, you know, that tickles me. I'm going to go with that. I think Stan. <laughs> well, wasn't it at the end of the Guardians movie that he was sitting there talking to the watchers and telling oh. them? Giving him the, the status report, hey. and that kind of thing. So I love that. We're, we the Aquaman movie opens tonight. Oh, is that tonight? Probably going to go see it. I don't. I, maybe I made a mistake. I didn't get tickets yet because we really weren't sure how everything was going to play out, timing wise, with all of this. But that would be, you know, if you're looking for to get lost in a fantasy for a while, how about Undersea Kingdoms, Warring Mermen? I, and as much as I like this stuff. Uh, Colleen mentioned Jason Momoa would be okay to see. That would be <laughs> just saying. <laughs> if you want to drag me along to another comic book movie, it would be okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the upcoming shows and movies is a little bit of a dry spell. Not a whole lot coming out for a while on this yeah, ground. I've, I've been watching. I don't know less comic book stuff, but I, I oh, we just watched the last rookie just last night. And, and as you mentioned, it's, wow, there's a lot going on. And at first, I wasn't sure if it was the cliffhanger, if there was one still to go. But just whatever happened to have, you know, again, spoiler alert, but it's to have them be targeted and to still have a mystery villain. And then it wasn't the female serial killer. It wasn't the other mastermind. Just, okay, what's really going on? And really, maybe that's another main character, maybe. And it's intense as hell. It was really so. What'd you think of the whole Rosalind thing uh, when she got killed and all that and what she was doing? That was crazy. So it, the, it's kind of funny. They really, instead of it being like a, for an evil genius, a mad genius to be driven by, I have to take over the world. I have to make a ton of money. She just was like a sadist and yeah. liked getting into people's heads and seeing how much she could screw up their lives, which is dangerous as hell if you're going to be like in public and can't necessarily shield yourself from her she had that evil charisma that some people can have where people that won't commit crimes just as their own thing they'll be happy to be a minion you know if you ever wonder where the henchmen come from it's because some people really want the permission of doing bad things because hey someone told me they forced me right. to do it so as we see and, in real life all nowadays whoops did i say that anyway so and, and un <laughs> unfortunately the actress passed away before that even came out so oh man so, you didn't know that annie Wershing? yeah don't they sometimes they have maybe oh i didn't know her actress name if they had a little in memoriam yeah, they have, did. That really was wrong. Oh my God. Okay. So. Yeah, he actually had cancer and was and filmed those while battling cancer, and oh, and she passed away before that episode came out. Okay. Uh, so as I think the last thing she did, I always liked her. She was in Twenty Four. She was in The Runaways. Okay. Uh, 
couple other things that I've watched through the yeah, years. That's where I know her from the runaways. I've never I never watched 24, but I it's you know, she has the perfect bone structure. And so I know I've seen that face before. And actually, I think we mentioned that they had one guy that was on the show and he um kind of said, I'm not gonna do the show anymore because of disagreements with how they were portraying not his character necessarily, but the Black Lives Matter stuff about how they really weren't getting equal treatment, equal time, etc. And I can understand what he was saying. Even though it's a big ensemble cast, some people are more of the main characters and some are the secondary. From what I understand, he, like said, I'm not coming back, but they already had figured him into a plot. So he's the guy that gets shot and put in the trunk and not in a disrespectful way. It wasn't I'll just get rid of this character then. They really, it was agonizing to see him go away, but it really wasn't him in the film. Right? It wasn't him getting filmed. They yeah. found another about it was very abrupt and shocking i could see that now, that actor was in an episode of castle so we talk about philly and bringing people over uh, it's actually one of the christmas yeah, we've seen episodes. laney we've seen everybody has made an appearance at some time or another and not the yeah. mom. his other the mom that he has in the new one was similar. first the redhead was like no she's not sweet but ditzy she's actually pretty evil <laughs> yeah yeah man what else underwater kingdom tonight my poor mother here it is week before christmas and her car died so she's out looking for a new car and she's horrible with looking for new vehicles and all that and it's one of those things it's like like, family defense you want to go with her and uh, get i do but i know we would just probably end up at each other's throats a little bit because her first thing she's talking to the guy he tells her yeah her whole subframe rusted out and they said well we might be able to fix it and i'm like how the hell are you gonna fix the frame of the car she goes oh okay i want to come and look for something she said i have this much to put down and that my top that i can afford is this much per month but i'll come and look and then i'm like just tell them that. You're, exactly. Like, you're, 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 your negotiation strategy is surrender. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and, and plus she's, I'm trying to, uh, it drives me crazy because I'm like, you're 75. Do you really want a new car with payments? I'm like, make it something used for yourself because then I've got something and you could even use my car. She's like, oh, I don't want to use your car. It scares me. I'm like, oh my God, I've got insurance. It's a car. It's fine. And I'm just like, okay, maybe we get something and kind of go together and then I'll just get a second used car because you don't need a payment. You don't need a new car. You drive barely ever. I, so I'll tell you, <laughs> I wish that people did this consumer reports for a long time any number of other finance books will say the best thing you can do is not put a lot of money into an immediately depreciating asset you drive that car off the lot and it's five thousand dollars less than what it was so what they say is find a car that's going to last 100 150,000 miles buy it with 30 you don't get a new car but you get all the value of that car for a third of the price that you right. would have paid if you insisted on i want the new car smell and so yep. we have not done that because Colleen worked for a place that they actually had a program where your car gets taken care of because you're using it for business all the time. You depreciate the car and they kind of paid for that depreciation. So both of our Priuses were bought new, but now we don't have any car payment. They've lasted the four years and stuff. If ever we don't get it, if one of these guys runs out and we don't need the second car, if we do need a second car, we're going to be like, am I really going to finally do the right thing and look in the ads and go to Carvana and say, Give me another Prius with 15, 30,000 miles on it, as long as it doesn't stink of cigarette smoke, as long as right. it isn't, oh, it was in the flood, but don't worry, it's okay. You know what I mean? I have no problems with pre-owned things like that. And I, that I had a mechanic check it, and that it's not, I don't know enough about it. Oh, my God, I did buy a pig in a poke, and it lasted a year. You know? And the prices, I know we sound old, but I just looked up a flight for our conference in February down to Florida. And it's $200 more this year than it was last year for the same type of flight. And they were, you know, a friend was trying to help my mother and said, oh, Honda's got a sale going on. You got to have 4,000 down and then it's 350 a month for seven years. And I'm like, for a Honda? I'm like, who the hell's paying that for a Honda? <laughs> Jeez, oh man. Hondas are great cars, but yes, seven year, a seven-year auto payment. Good for three fifty, and right. I'm like, but he was like, but you get a seventy-five-inch TV. Give me a two hundred-dollar payment. I'll go buy my own seventy-five-inch TV. Exactly. Jeez. It's you know. So 
I have a new favorite commercial because it's so well done. But they have the thing, boy, did the commercial penetrate? I can't tell you the name of the company, but it's the one that will actually drop a car and pick up a car and they have an app and you can do it all on the app. And so to me, that's automatically dangerous. This is like, hey, I went shopping in Amazon and got a book. I went shopping for a 30, 40, $50,000 car. Beep, boop. I, oh my God. But the guy who's it's got a little slidey thingy, so you can compare your dump. It's easy. I bought one for my wife, too. Yeah, it's easy, exactly. And it's like, he slides it and goes, I feel strong. It's just like the perfect catering to, yeah, they might have given you the ability to see just how screwed you are that you're going to have a car payment. What's the total cost of the car? Is that on the screen somewhere? Because wealthy barber, like I said, any number, if you read anything about FIRE, financial independence retire early, they will give you that same advice. The car is like the worst thing that you can do if you really don't ever think of it as an investment. It's an expense and keep the total expense and the expense per year down and be in self-defense is don't get sold something. So I hope that your mom doesn't get flea. Please, even if it might be like, uh, I don't know, how long can you handle it? Do an hour. Even an hour is better than none. <laughs> it's, uh, I, the last been... three cars that she got I remember talking to her and she's going, we're, we're going out and look for a car today. I'm like, are you looking or getting? No, no, we're just looking today. Two hours later, she drives in with the new car and says, oh, it was a really great deal. I'm like, a great deal for who? You were the salesman. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I will also say this. The way we got our last two cars was Costco. They do things where $50 over dealer's invoice and not the dealer showroom cost that includes all that transportation, all that crap as well. We got a great deal on a great car and they really do. They cover, I don't know, a hundred different kinds of cars, not three. So the fact that whatever we pay for Costco each year to be like executive members, we not only get our 2% get discount back, but the money that we saved on our new cars is enough to pay for Costco for the rest of our lives. We save thousands and thousands. You know what I mean? So I don't know if either your mom or somebody in the family is a Costco person, but if you're going to get a new one, I don't think Costco does used, but they make sure that out of Cleveland, it isn't every single Toyota dealer. They have one or two dealers, maybe one East side, West side, something like that, that those are the ones that have, the good ratings that you're not going to go in there and say, yeah, we're giving you a good Costco deal. But then if you want floor mats, that's another $500. Right. You know, oh no. Kinds of ways a second key. That'll cost you $250. <laughs> like that. Yeah. So a, a big a car around Christmas is a big old thing. You know what I mean? When we saw all the ads that have, Hey, new car for your graduating high school kid, a big old bow on it. It's wow. Maybe you let them work for that a little bit. Here I am <laughs> sounding all curmudgeonly, but I don't know. I, it's important to have safety and dependability. Your car is for the utility. That's what I want. I've never cared about, does it have the right wood panel or something like that? I cared that it had the rating that said, this car is going to last and last, will not break down on me. It's If I'm in a right. collision, I'm in a great frame. She is not going to crumple on me. <laughs> she is such the ideal consumer for these car dealers because she's had a Mazda She's like Mazda, so she's too afraid to get a different type of car. So, okay, I'll go look at Mazda and I'll get a Mazda. And and I keep, I don't think their repairs have been as up to par as they used to be. I don't know what happened. And I told her, I said, well, you should go look somewhere else. It's just these, these people have not seen that trustworthy in recent years, Yeah, but she's so afraid my mother is chicken little with the sky always falling and okay. she's so afraid to go somewhere else. Well, I just don't know. Those are cars. I don't know. There are places I've been happy here. I'm like, no, you have it. You, I'm like, you still don't have a side mirror. They have been promising this for nine months, <laughs> but they want to trust. And so they do. They yeah. want to believe that they're good. It's, I have, very little loyalty in all those ways. I don't have a loyalty to an insurance agent or to a right. car dealer or anything like that. I have loyalty to quality. You know, the fact that we've now had two Priuses run without fail perfectly and we're getting 50 miles a gallon. I got, that's why I'm looking at a hybrid or an electric because I like all those features. But if someone outdoes them and Consumer Reports says, hey, you want to go with Saab because now they're the best out there, I will relearn where the... Um, directional is and how to turn on my lights and stuff in a month and then i'll still have the best car on the road it just the man the peace of mind matters a lot to me colin yeah. and i have talked about so much of we're in okay shape we're both retired one of the things is that we just made we made plans and we kept to them and some of the plan was 
You don't do big, impulsive things. Do the research, buy the best thing. It'll be, you'll, not only will you save money in the long run, you'll save emergency money if ever has to happen. And I can't think of anything that's blown up in our face like that. Maybe Angie. Angie is not as dependable for things around the house as it once was. With various different car types, you can even see the little chart of reliability that consumer reports together that kind of funny. Once a place establishes a reputation for reliability, they seem to take that almost as an opportunity to say, well, we can slack off now because we're going to get 10-year echo effect instead of continuing to top the list. Or just that other competitors say, oh, we got to catch up. We got to surpass. So, you know, and this is, maybe nobody does this anymore, at least not amongst my direct circle of friends. When I first was looking at buying a car, this would have been like early 80s, got out of school and so forth, and are you going to buy American? And so what I'm going to do is buy the best car. And if it turns out that Japan is making those cars, because what we specialize in is fins, not quality motors, I just don't have any loyalty to the company that is screwing me, but saying it's a patriotic act to buy something of less quality. Make a better car. I'll buy your better car. Import it from Detroit. I'll buy an import. And yet for years, 10, 20 years, we fell further and further behind Datsun, now Nissan, and Honda. And, and they each had their upgrade, the Acura versus the Infiniti and stuff. So when I got my Infiniti, it was, I this is the best, highest quality car for like, and still be initially reasonable amounts of money. I didn't want to spend, we talk about this often, don't we? You spend $70,000 on a car when you could have had one for 30. And so what's the opportunity value of $40,000 that you yeah. could put into other things? And it's not even for yourself. That could be some a donation to a library. That could get kids some school lunches. Every one of those things that you kind of piss away money, it breaks my heart to see people do that when it really is that there's, I don't know, there's so much psychology in it. We've talked about advertising before. When you get this and then you'll show you've made it. Now you get the job and the girl and the, you know what I mean? You are the man on the block. Right. And I just, I've never cared about that. You know, I had an infinity, which was kind of like, the reason I got it was because the people that I was dealing with then were like traders from the Chicago Board of Trade and Options Exchange. And I wanted them to not have me come puttering up in a geo. I wanted them to look like I have arrived. I am reputable. And that's going to be part of how I sell Gambit that I was working on at the time. But it wasn't for me. It kind of, you know what I mean? It was for, I knew that appearance mattered. I couldn't care less that I have what rosewood in the car. You know what I mean? It matters that I have seat warmers because Kyle likes seat warmers. You know what I mean? And really people are misled. Uh, if you buy a Ford, chances are it was built down in Mexico and imported to the U.S. The BMWs out there were assembled in North Carolina. So you tell me which one's more American. And Ford Sam isn't even owned. That really said. And Ford isn't even Saturn really around for a while. And they really were like they were built in Tennessee. They created right. all these jobs. Yeah. If Ford isn't really yeah, even, even owned by an American it's, company anymore. They're owned by foreign companies. It was sold. And people go see movies and 60, 70% of the movies are owned by Chinese companies. Well, they have no problem. It's just the whole buy American is such a falsehood, but you know, that's the raw rallying cry you see on the trucks. Oh, I buy American. Okay. When did you buy American? Because you're driving a foreign car. I don't care what it says. I know I've seen, you know, there's a big chart of all the interlocking conglomerates that own everything. And so when you see, I don't know, P&G, for instance, right? Procter & Gamble. When you look at them in the store and there's all these different brands and stuff like that, and you figure P&G has two and then you know, Unilever. And it turns out that they own 80% of the shelf space because they've done all that, inhabit every slot right. with I don't know, expensive, middle, cheap, uh, minty versus apple flavor. I don't know. They really have become very cunning and so have car dealers. And so have, oh, I, <laughs> you know, jumping back real quick before I forget, you mentioned uh, advertising in that. I must say some of my favorite Christmas commercials over the last couple of years have been the Apple commercial for whatever Apple product. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, I don't know. They, Long ago, when the Mac first came out, I think I might have told you this, they had a guy named Guy Kawasaki, who we actually yep. had come talk to our Apple, you know, our Mac user group, and his title was Evangelist. 
He wasn't a salesman. And the way he very much explained what he was doing was salesmen tend to say, okay, what do you want? And I'm going to narrow your choices until I'm the only one remaining. I'm going to scare you. I'm going to give you a free TD, whatever else it might be. Whereas Apple has always been about, look at the stuff you can do. Look, this Mac or this phone or this watch or whatever like that, it expands your life. You, you make your world bigger and better. And I've always liked that. And not in a false dreams way, not in the, hey, you buy a Macintosh and you get the girl. You know what I mean? I don't think that they've ever done that. Whereas they have the stereotypes of the guys. Well, who do you want to be in the world? Do you want to be like the, I don't know, button down kind of stayed John Hodgman? Or do you want to be a little more cool? A little more, I just, and I've never bought one for that reason, but I like the fact that their advertisement, advertising speaks to aspiration instead of, I don't, it's never a lie. It's you know, and, and once in a while they actually come out and say, "No, we have the fastest computers in the world." But once in a while they just put on lies. If you really want the best out there, and as prices have been, like maybe we, you and I have different opinions on this. I'm willing to spend if a great computer can be had for eight hundred or a thousand dollars. The two hundred dollar difference is not what's going to make me decide. You know what I mean? Something that I use every day for hours a day, the quality of my monitor, the quality of my connectivity, all that kind of stuff. My time is absolutely worth the extra $200. If it was 800 versus 8,000, like when the Lisa long, long ago first came out, a $5,000 personal computer, when things were $1,000, a harder sell. But I can get this perfect Mac laptop for 1500 bucks that really is the best rated thing out there. And I don't, it's not easy to convince me that the Mac world is, so um, segregated, walled off, if you will, it's absolutely now because of the internet, because of phones, all the ways in which it interacts with things, it's better and for the right money. And I I don't think that I get trapped in it. It's more, wow, another thing that they do better than anybody else. Another thing that I'm happy to pull out my phone and have it just work all the freaking time. When Colleen and I have anything we have to troubleshoot, I'm always amazed that like, wow, that's not Apple. They usually make it so that like three levels deep, it's working better than I thought it would. You right. know what I mean? That as I investigate, because oh, I often sound like an, uh, a little bit of an Apple, like a commercial, but it really is. I'm ready to give testimonials out the wazoo. Way back when I was regularly using Macs and in, maybe in a Windows environment, I'd be like, I know that I'll be able to read every file and do all that you can, but I'm going to do it with a 30% productivity boost. That's at least... I know that I'm more efficient than anybody that I saw. Hey, is it virus fighting day? Is it, you know, I had less problems with file compatibility between Mac and Windows than I did between versions of Windows. Because I always had to work in the Windows environment if you did any kind of corporate consulting. But the various different versions of Windows and of Office and how when it went from Doc to Doc X to Doc, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. Regularly, I'm the guy that had to explain you want to make sure that you check this box for backwards compatibility because once you move forward, if you try to go to your home machine and it's still on Windows 7 instead of Windows, you're going to be very unhappy. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? So I got my buddy that stopped the other night and we were chatting. He's a Linux guy and he's been a Linux guy since mid 90s, late 90s. Yeah. And man, I'm just like, I've tried Linux several times and I end up spending more time getting things working than actually working. It, I still don't feel like I could move to Linux and totally use that. And I've been using Windows for so long and everything I have is in Windows and working. And you know, people are like, oh, this problem, that problem. I'm like, eh, I don't have problems. Part of that's what you do. So yeah, yeah. It's Colleen is having a little bit of like moving uh, to almost all Macintosh now that she doesn't have the Windows laptop as her main box. It's just, I have to explain things to her. And most of the time it's not quotes, it's just that way. It's more, I think that the reason they made it this way is because, and most of the things seem to have human factors behind it, compatibility behind it, not just we decided to be ornery and do it our own way. <laughs> but I mean, I've got a Mac sitting right here that I use for publishing and I'm now using it. I'm doing a project uh, with Flutter and Flutter is cross-platform hybrid for iOS, Android, and the web. So I'm working on a project that I can put in all three places. That's our goal. But 
I still I, have I that. Know mind. Nothing about flutter. How, you know, honestly, I oh. stay up on this kind of stuff all the time. Oh my God, you're ahead. I now I have to go learn about it and catch up. It's a, it's a Google thing, actually, uh, from Google. But you got to still have the Mac to have the right keychain to publish to the Apple Store. So I have to have my Windows with Android set up and everything for the web, and then the Mac for. The, all of that. So right. I can develop on my Windows and it has a virtual machine thing that it connects to the Mac. So yeah. In fact, that's boy, I was I developed tons of stuff for Macintosh and Windows both. And the development environment that people don't ever get to see. I another thing that I loved about Apple was that they really had you can set up things so that it's every single browser, every single version, and the compatibility of being able to test for the top 30 things that you're going to see out there in the world and fix it before it goes out, not just put it out there to break and then people will never use it again. I always love that the rigor and the fact that besides, like I use Parallels instead of VMware Fusion for running an entire Windows environment. But the Mac had that ability to recreate all those environments right in their development environment and the level of detail that sometimes they had to deal with for you name it, the difference in foundation libraries and how they, and even long ago it was little Indian versus big Indian, how they handled memory handling and floating point numbers and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff, the first ones that did, I don't have to worry about memory management was Apple, both Apple's development environment and MetroWorks, which I think is kind of gone now, but being able to take care of all the garbage collection and not having a, being able to guarantee a, a safe kernel environment and not know that it can be I just, Apple's got some really smart people working for it. And the fact that they figured all that out for me so that I don't have to do it, I love the leverage of that. You know what I mean? Maybe the latest Windows development environment has all that as well. I'm just not as familiar with it because I have started to do most of my stuff with Swift and all. The, and also not to multiple platforms, multiple languages. You, know, you really can do C or C plus or all that kind of stuff. And it has gotten better over the course of time. So I just well, <laughs> I, well, Flutter. Obviously, you can develop it on either, and the language, the Dart language, which is the major part of it. Flutter is like yeah. the framework over top of Dart. That was all Google developed, so it works with both. And obviously, it has to do cross-platform development. But the other one I've been working on a lot is Python because that is the AI stuff, and I've been doing AI stuff for work. And you want, and man, let me tell you, my brain has been hurting with that. AWS has so many freaking cool stuff that it does. And I've been working with that. You have to cobble things together. Yeah. And figure out their terminology. And then. I I, I heard Python. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go. That's way back when I was first working on convergence and they were really trying to get not just apps, but get things onto the web and being able to have do whatever's running behind your websites and stuff like that. And Python was one of the languages you had to learn, you know, what was the duct tape of the internet that if you didn't know each of the languages on other platforms, you could write middleware kind of stuff that would take care of your data, take care of your user interface, that kind of thing. So I know Everything I've learned about Python was unwillingly, but I see how handy it has been. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? It's not, I, the more I've been using Python, <laughs> yeah. the more I've used Python, the more I've enjoyed it. I like the language. But now that I'm learning Dart with Flutter, I'm like, wow, Dart is a very elegant language. It makes a lot of sense. And yeah. so that's pretty cool. All right. I miss it. Yep. That's one of those things that maybe that's another thing I'll pick up in the new year is I just want to develop something. I just, I miss that cool thing of, hey, look what I wrote. And it works. I haven't been active in that way anywhere near what I once was, honestly, since coming to Cleveland. You know what I mean? When I was doing It's small, Cleveland's fault. It just was. I did the big mainframe and database insurance company environment, and it made me fall behind. And so the act of starting over again or of catching up, it was a lot of work for a hobby. And that's kind of why I haven't done it. Right. But I have lots of time now and lots of i like my i like how my mind is when it works on that it my mind has a mind that solves those things well i'm aware that i have this gift and my not using it is kind of criminal you know what i mean i really should be i was never the best coder that i knew but i was really good at coming into environments that had been created before and being able to quickly understand what they were doing and quickly see what the problems were and is this worth fixing or is this worth, you really should rewrite it. This isn't refactoring. This is 
it was written in a different time and we're in event oriented instead of procedural now right so you might want to take this as an opportunity keep this thing shuddering along as a zombie for the next three months and give yourself a spiffy new version that right. kind of thing so yep. anyway <laughs> oh, hey i gotta get running so have a great holiday you and, too uh, yeah we'll i'm sure we'll compare who, who got the cool stuff you know, when we talk again and i really merry christmas to you merry I'm christmas so we're doing this i love our conversation i look forward to this we have 170 plus in the camp. yes yeah that's, that's crazy that's, cool. that's yeah. way more than a lot of people <laughs> let me tell you it really is so whatever our stubbornness or our affability or whatever we got going for us so far so good so uh, real quick <laughs> i heard they are putting godzilla minus one a black and white version out in japan so we're really hoping that comes to the states that's because it'll really look like the first raymond burry type thing yeah that would be cool yeah exactly yeah. so very good right. looking for okay Merry Christmas, sir. Very good. You know, if we get all snowed in, I'm fine. I got a lot of TV I got to watch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> a lot of books I got to read. Yeah. Right, take care, Stephen. Later. Bye-bye. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.